0: This episode of IMDb is Obsessed is presented by Acura, official sponsor of the Sundance Film Festival 2022. Oh, you're in
1: trouble now. What? ( Sutton) Why? 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 The Sundance Film Festival is America's largest independent film festival. It's truly such a joyful celebration of the art of filmmaking, but since we will, again, not be attending Sundance in person this year, we wanted to celebrate a little bit differently.
0: That's right. Today, we're going to reveal our four favorite Sundance films from the last four decades that you can watch right now, and we've got someone very special to join the conversation today, veteran Sundance writer, director, and also excellent human who we've both really missed talking to these last two years, Kevin Smith. Hi,
2: Kevin. How are you, Welcome, kids? Kevin. Excellent to be here. When they told me, like, this ain't bragging, this ain't like, you know, hey, look how important I am, but I, I've been in podcasting since 2007, and naturally, I get invited to a lot of podcasts, and unfortunately, there's not enough time in the world, but when I heard it was you guys,
0: Aww. I was Aww. like,
2: come on, man, this will be our chance to do what we haven't gotten to do for the last few years at either Sundance or the San Diego Comic Con for folks who may not realize, like uh, Lizzie, Alex, who else was on our team? Like Shara,
0: Kelsey, Ian, Shara,
2: Ian. Matt. Who was and who and the editors who were completely unsung, uh, and lived in the belly of a boat or deep in the in the, in the, in the base <laughs> yes. in the basement of of some Park City uh, rental. Um, put together, like for five years, we did the IMD boat and did Sundance interviews and so we were just talking before the show began that like i like i don't have a like i work with people when i make a movie but generally i'm a writer and and an editor and so you spend a lot of time by yourself in a room that was so fun for me that's what i i miss i was like i don't miss interviewing famous people like i i felt like i talked to everybody but what i missed was the camaraderie (laughs) with the kids who every day would come in with a stack of well-researched info about who i was going to talk to that I had to like process in the only way I could, which is like throw out half of it and be like, uh-huh, uh, wait, give me this, give me this. Um, and it was like a real Frankensteinian effort to pull together, like uh put one person in the chair and represent the work of like 10 people to get them there. So if anybody ever saw those clips of me pithily interviewing folks you know at either sundance or san diego go like oh he's so good at that i had so much help and you're and the the key help is is right here on this podcast so thank you guys so much for five years before the virus came and swept away all good times that that was <laughs> that, that was so much fun for me to like be at a thing and not have to be at a thing we got to Like go to Sundance in a way that most people don't. We got to see Sundance come to us. We got to see the San Diego Comic Con come to us. Everyone came to be interviewed. So, such a wonderful time. But more than the people we interviewed, it was the people who made the interviews possible. And
0: Aww, Alex Lizzie. That means so oh. much, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's it's- such a
2: sweet peek behind the curtain for
1: us because yeah. you know, we're usually toiling back there and uh, don't, don't, don't get to, uh, you know, come out of our dungeons very often and, <laughs> and have as much fun as, you know, everyone else is having up there on the stage.
0: Yeah, I have a really great picture of myself from I think the last year we were at Sundance where I'm crouched outside over a garbage can using it as my desk on my laptop and I, I've saved
1: that. <laughs> You got a trash can? Yeah. I got a
0: trash can. I didn't Upgrade. even get a trash
1: can. <laughs> it's who you know,
2: man. It's who you know in the yeah, IMDb exactly.
1: world and stuff. <laughs> it's an ergonomic trash can. <laughs> All right. You want to get into these top four movies that we've yes. picked in today? So these are four. Sundance films that we are obsessed with, movies that we've returned to over the years and that we just have a special place in our heart for. Uh, We'll go through them chronologically. We'll begin with Blood Simple, which actually comes from perhaps what might be the first year of the festival as we now know it, uh, it premiered January, 1985. Um, and it actually won the award that year. And it was the first year that they awarded the grand jury prize. And it went to Joel Cohen for blood simple, the IMDb. Synopsis for Blood Simple, just for anybody that hasn't seen it, the owner of a seedy small town Texas bar discovers that one of his employees is having an affair with his wife. A chaotic chain of misunderstandings, lies, and mischief ensues after he devises a plot to have them murdered.
2: Um, let me tell you something really uh personal about the Coen Brothers. Uh they are my lodestar, my favorites. They're they're mm-hmm. honestly like the same people I've emulated my career after, and not to say like Uh, I tried to make movies like them because obviously I I missed the mark. But what I always loved about the Coen brothers, somebody explained it thusly. Um, The Coen brothers started about as far away from the industry as one could get both professionally and tonally in what they did, the tone of their work. They just didn't work like the industry works. They didn't tell stories that the industry likes to tell. And what usually happens over time is the, the artist changes to adapt to the industry so right. as to fit so as to survive for longevity coen brothers as artists never changed now they grew i'm not saying like they made the same movie in blood simple that you know we just saw with uh, with Macbeth. no but they never changed their tone they did what they do very specifically and they grew as filmmakers and the films got bigger and, and even more wonderful but Blood Simple, right up to the tragedy of Macbeth, it is a defiantly Coen Brothers, uh, career. And mm-hmm. they never adapted. Instead of them moving toward the industry, the industry moved toward them. And now more things emulate the Coen Brothers. Yeah. Then not and you can yeah. see their the their DNA creatively in how stories are told. I mean, you don't have to I'm not even saying look at Fargo on FX, of course, naturally. Like that show is almost a love letter to everything the Coen brothers have ever done. But right, absolutely. They never changed as artists, man. They were true to themselves and It's the one thing I think about as an artist,
1: like fully formed knew what they wanted to say. Yeah. And just kept doing it. I mean, it it reminds me of that Robert Altman quote where he says that he never really changed as an artist. He kind of always just kept going on this one plane and the art, you know, the, the scene had its peaks and valleys and kind of came and met him at times. And, you know, when it met him, it was his hits like mash and uh, even Gosford park, you know, things Mm -hmm. where the, the culture just lined up and they were ready to accept a Robert Altman film. Um, and he never compromised who he was as a artist, as a filmmaker, and never changed that. It just even the, with the even, art came to him. Even with Popeye, he made a Robert yes. Altman film. <gasps> no, it's it's defiantly Robert Altman,
2: and it's and I wonder films. if he received the criticism that I had received early in my career, which was um, uh, some people were like, All of his characters sound like him. And I never understood why that was a bad thing. Like the Coen brothers, all their sounds yeah. like the Coen brothers, like right yeah. early What's, days, the internet, people and, would try to hammer it out of you like with an up is down black is white. thing. Well,
0: like. and I think to touch on something that like, first of all, I, I'm going to get trashed for saying this, but I had never seen this. Uh, I think I don't know why I've been resisting it, but I, I finally watched it for this. And the thing that is stunning about it, which I think you were both touching on, is that this is so many people that we have come to know, whether it's the Coen brothers, Francis McDormand, Carter Burwell doing the score, Barry Sonnenfeld, like it, they come out of the box, like ready to go. There's there's nobody yeah. here where, where you're like, oh, I can see this is like the beginning of a great career. Uh, Or, you know, no, it's like that guy's got some
1: style, like give him another one and maybe he'll figure it out. No, it's it's
0: wild how how formed and how stylish this whole movie is and how much you can see of their future projects in it, like what Kevin was saying. I don't know. Alex, anything else to add before we move on from Blood Simple?
1: No, just that uh, it is in this one sub-sub genre that I really, really love called the neon noir. It's a neo-noir as well because it's an update of the noir uh, from the 1950s. But it's a neon noir, uh, which is just um, the kind of like modern noir of the 80s and 90s that uh, are often neon-soaked. Michael Mann's Thief is kind of the uh, high point of it or... some people consider it the kickoff. Blade Runner as well uh, is a great one. Streets of Fire. I would, a movie s- I I would add, love.
2: Uh, even though it's later and from the early, from the nineties, John Dahl's uh, um, entire Rock catalog, West. including Red Rock West and The Last Seduction. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, great subgenre. If if you
1: like Blood Simple, there's a lot of these kind of weird little uh, you know crime dime store novel uh, crime stories that you can check out that are kind of fall in this small
2: sub sub category. And if you've if you've never seen Blood Simple, like Ed, but you're familiar with the uh, Coen Brothers oeuvre, if you will, mm-hmm. watching Blood Simple is like watching a Muppet Baby's version of their work. Because <laughs> yes. you see everybody in their infancy. You see baby yes. Francis McDormand. Yes. You see baby as well, you hear baby Carter Burwell. And yes. you, hear, See, you know
0: who else you hear a baby of is holly hunter, holly hunter. yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. who
1: was supposed to be in the movie but couldn't she had a scheduling issue was, uh, and had to do a uh i think a play and then they stuck her around and uh you know put her in raising arizona instead yeah uh, what, a, um, what a what a what yeah. a great
2: make good that was
1: in, <laughs> yeah. <of> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> in only one of the greatest <laughs> roles of all time
2: they start their career with a film noir and for their second film they're like all right here's the pitch it's about Kidnapping. It's about home invasion and kidnapping a child.
0: But and it's they, the funniest thing you'll ever see. And it's a
2: comedy <laughs> and it and it works. It's insane. Yep. They're all bad criminals.
1: Every from from this beginning all the way through Tragedy of Macbeth, it's always bad <laughs> criminals. And if you haven't seen it, it's on HBO Max. Check it out don't wait around like Lizzie did. It's a great movie and it's a lot of fun. And it's only, you know, like 90 minutes. So
0: So moving on to our second movie, it's it's one you may have heard of, Kevin. Um, And by that, I mean, it's yours, of course. We have to talk about Clerks if we're going to talk about our favorite Sundance movies. Um, If you've not seen Clerks, the synopsis according to IMDb is a day in the lives of two convenience clerks named Dante and Randall as they annoy customers, discuss movies, and play hockey on the store roof. It, of course, stars Brian O'Halloran as Dante, Jeff Anderson as Randall, Marilyn Gigliotti as Veronica, Jason Muse as Jay, and, of course, you as Silent Bob, and written and directed by you as well. So this premiered January of 1994. Kevin, I read that a lovely man named Bob Hawk convinced you to submit the movie to Sundance. So I'm curious, what... You didn't think that it was right for Sundance at first, right?
2: Mm-mm. No. When we made this flick, I had a roadmap that I was going by. Uh, Amy Talbin had written this article about Richard Linklater in The Village Voice, and I was a massive fan of Slacker. Slacker mm-hmm. is the movie that, you know, I'd always loved movies, but Slacker made me go, oh, maybe I could make a movie, like not just write a movie, maybe I could right. direct a movie, indie film. Like indie film had the promise of, you don't have to know like, come and play. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, you don't have to be, uh, born with like God given talent. Like, it, it, I always explain it thusly. You got the NHL, people who are like Olympic grade or professional level players of a child's game, hockey, just in game, <laughs> but they're so good at it. They're so elite that they pay them a lot of money. That's mm-hmm. great. Good for them. I like hockey too. So indie film to me felt like pond hockey. The idea mm. of like, oh, I'm just going get, to get get together with my friends and do our version of, you know, what they would do. Probably not nearly as serious and stuff. Obviously, the stakes are real low. Uh, it just felt like you could watch people do a thing that you love or you could try it yourself. And it took me, oddly enough, I always felt it was so late in the game. It took me 20. No,
0: you were so young.
2: I know, but I felt like I was so old. It took me 21 years to hit that moment when I saw Slacker on my 21st birthday and was like, wait a second. Maybe this is what I want to do. So I see Slacker on my 21st birthday. Uh, you know, I'm like, I got to go to film school. I can't go to NYU because it's like four years, and I already feel like I'm behind and stuff. So I go to the Vancouver Film School, which is like a eight month program, and I become an ambassador for them now. Um, <laughs> I meet Scott Mosier, David Klein, Scott Mosier, my mm-hmm. producer, David Klein, my DP. Most important, because it's it's true. It's not. It's they're always like, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and it's a very cynical uh take on it. It's not who you know, meaning your connections. It's who you know who's going to help you make your dream come true. Who I yeah. knew was Scott Mosier and David Klein. Those are the linchpins. Without those two guys, Clerks dies as a wish in my heart. I was looking to just make a calling card movie. I'd read mm-hmm. this article that Amy Tobin did about uh, Richard Linklater in, in The Village Voice, and it played out to me like a roadmap. map. Bob Hawke, who uh, we, we in this article in the Village Voice article, and I'm pointing because it's still hanging up here in my office. Oh, wow. um, Bob Hawke uh, is mentioned. Uh, well, he's not mentioned. Rather, uh, it, what's mentioned is the independent feature film Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't try to go to Sundance, Richard. He he brought his movie as a work in progress to the IFFM. And that was like attainable to me. You didn't need to be picked. You just had to hand in a check and they give you a slot. And then it's up to you to fill that screening with as many people as possible who may move your movie forward or something like that. Right. So I use that as the guide, as the goalpost. So I was like, all right, we're going to make this movie and then we're going to take it to IFFM. And then I guess we'll see what happens next. Sundance, never in a million years in the cards. Might as well have said, why don't you take this movie to Warner Brothers? Like it just seemed <laughs> as out, outlandish. And it wasn't until Bob Hawk at that, IFFM screening which we eventually had October 3rd uh, 1993 at 11am in the morning and he was one of the only people at the screening he came up to us afterwards i was at my like most depressed where i was like oh my god we went through all this for nothing nobody was here and he loved the movie scott mosier He spoke to this guy, Bob Hawke, who didn't have a badge to indicate that he was anything important in the world of indie film. It just said ICI. He did a little self-contained company called Independent Consultation for Independence, where he'd read your script, give you notes. So he he told Scott, he's like, you have to submit this movie to Sundance. This is exactly what Sundance is all about. Bob Hawke starts telling people about it, apparently. So the next morning, I get a call from Amy Taubin. Who wrote that very article in the Village Voice? And she's wow. like, uh, "Hey, I heard your movie's the undiscovered gem of the marketplace." And I'm like, uh, "How'd you hear that? Nobody was there." And she's like, <laughs> "I'm not at liberty to say. Will you send me a tape to watch?" And I was like, "Absolutely." Then I get a Please, call. Please,
1: anybody watch this? Yeah, yeah. At, at <laughs> point, we thought that was the last time
2: anybody see it for her too. Like I argued with her on the phone at first, where I was like, "This is not Amy Talbot," and she thought that was so delightful. She's like, "Nobody has ever accused me of impersonating myself."
0: I mean, what you did with this movie in the same way that we're talking about why those of you that haven't seen Blood Simple should watch Blood Simple, like the Coen brothers began building their cinematic world in that. You very literally begin building your cinematic universe in this with characters who we get to revisit and that I think want to revisit because they are so alive and so very real to you on screen. So... Very quickly, I know that you've said that a lot of things in Clerks really did happen. Was there a dead guy in the bathroom of your Quick Stop? Never. That's that's movie. <laughs> that's
2: movie stuff. So whenever somebody's just like, "Oh my god, Clerks is so real. Why can't you make a movie like that again?" I'm like, "Real like where the dead guy dies in the f-ing bathroom and they play hockey." Well, I roof? had
0: to ask.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. Some some stuff you have to make up just to make it entertaining. If I had literally well, done my own my own life only. accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: (laughs) Well, and obviously you've built a world here that that you want to keep revisiting as well, and you are going to revisit in Clerks 3, Mm -hmm. which you shot this summer and which we're very excited about what was the most entertaining for you to revisit in clerks three?
2: Um, what was the most fun for me was the, the premise of the movie is that uh Randall has a heart attack and uh, decides that he's wasted his life watching movies when he should have been making movies. So he's like, I'm going to make a movie. <laughs> so essentially the clerks make clerks. Um, they call it inconvenience. So you know, what's that was
0: your original title, right?
2: Yeah, that was the original. The movie is so meta. It's a, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, are, you've incepted
0: yourself with oh, this
2: one. Like, I've incepted. I'm sure most people have lost interest in my career because like, he's just navel gazing at this point. It's beyond <laughs> no. navel gazing. This is inserting my own head up my own ass. But that being said, the most fun of making clerks three, not just getting back together with the same old cast. Like, here we are all together again, nearly 30 years after the fact. Doing almost the same thing. It was a blast because in the movie, since they make Clerks, we just replicate them, their version of their inconvenience literally looks like Clerks. So Clerks is playing on HBO Max. So I'd have it on my phone. I'd pull up a scene, pause it, and we'd put it next to the camera, Leron, our DP. Oh, wow. We would compose based on that and have a blast just getting as close as possible. Going, We got to move the move that cigarette pack in. All right. There you go. Nobody move and action and then recreate these scenes. The entire cast of people like even crazy tiny parts like the lady who was yelling at Randall where he's like, I don't appreciate your ruse, ma'am. And she storms out. Donna Jean. She's still around. (laughs) She came came back to play the same exact part. So the fun for us was just like reframing everything. And like reverse engineering, like there were a few times they were like, how'd you do it the first time? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It was like 30 years ago. Like we had to scale <laughs> back. Jane, Silent Bob dancing outside. We recreate that. It was so fun. Like reliving, you want to talk about reliving the past? Like I, I'm, it, it was the best way to spend a summer, you know, it, in terms of somebody who's 51 years old, like, and they say you can't go home again. We literally went home and did the same thing over again. It was such a blast.
0: That's amazing. Well, we can't wait to see it. And for all of you to prepare for Clerks Three, please go ahead and watch Clerks. It is available to stream right now on Paramount Plus and it is just a delight. It's a delight because we know you. It's also just a delightful movie, and I really enjoyed watching it again for this Thank you. Um, how long
2: how long do you think I get before Sundance before people stop referring to it as like, Oh, that's Sundance right there? Like, do you think it ever like I must age out at a clerks? certain point? Yeah. Like there's so many. I don't know, other, it's such like... an
0: iconic Sundance movie though. Like I, I think what Clerks captures is exactly what you're talking about and, and the energy that people associate with Sundance, particularly early on, which was the the idea that like you can do it. Like this is you can absolutely do it yourself and you can tell a story that, you know, yeah. means something to you that doesn't have to be a grand scale like, you know, action picture or anything and, and is gonna carry just as much weight. And I I don't know. I just I think it's such an iconic Sundance movie that I it's always going to be associated with the festival for me.
1: And it's the Sundance generation. It's part of, you know, it's part of that explosion where Sundance really came into the public consciousness and people started to recognize that this is the place to see these new independent voices yeah. and I think that, you know, you're a part of leading that huge charge and that change in film history that they're always going to look to that.
0: Well, I we have to move on to the next one although I definitely could talk about that for quite a while longer, especially, especially that you give the excellent advice in that, that not everybody will bake you lasagna, which is true and important for all boyfriends to remember around the world. Um, (laughs) Moving on to our third movie, which is another one of my favorites. I just had the best time watching all of these, but this is uh, 2006's Little Miss Sunshine, which did premiere in, in 2006 at Sundance. If you've not seen this, the synopsis is: a family determined to get their young daughter into the finals of a beauty pageant take a cross country trip in their VW bus. Which, yeah, boiled down, that that is what this is about,
2: um, and so much more. I mean, and, and also, so much more. Read off the cast though, because that's what's yes. deceptive about that description. We're like, all right, tell us who's yeah.
0: there. Well, all right. So we've got Tony Collette, Greg yes. Kinnear. Steve Carell, Paul Dano, Alan Arkin, who, of course, won an Oscar for his performance in this, and Abigail Breslin, who was nominated for an Oscar. Man, she is so good. I watched this yeah. again last night, and I just, I don't think I appreciated how good she is. And she's so little. She's like eight or nine.
2: This movie, hey, for, hey. for lack of a better description, this movie is uh, absolutely uh, delicious on all fronts. Yes. But um, as, uh, you know, a, a Sundance snob, I'll always view that as like, well, I mean, you have a movie with Steve Carell and Alan Arkin and like, right. you know, that's, it reminds me of sex lies and videotape or happy Texas, which was a huge Sundance. anything that comes in with famous people and a budget and stuff like that still counts. I ain't taking it away from Sundance and stuff or saying it ain't Sundance enough. I'm not like a, one of those cats. It's like, Hey man, once they got out, I was a fan when they were Garage Band, and you now sure, they got you late. sold out, yeah. But that being what? said, it's like there are two Sundance's kids. There's that yes. Sundance where like you come in with Steve Carell in your movie. And granted, Steve Carell wasn't Steve Carell. He is I now. I was going
0: to say, remember the time because this is less than a year after The Office has come out. And I think the same year as 40 year old virgin.
2: Totally. So, and still though, he had a nice long run on, on The Daily Show. He has enough yes. celebrity right. for them to stick him in a thing and stuff. And this is where you start seeing his many colors like because he plays a yeah, different character he's than so he did good. Um, but it is it's like when i hear that movie i'm like oh yeah i guess that was also at sundance but like that movie was fated for success whether it went to sundance or not this flick was so celebrated and for a long time this also became the Sundance example, where people would be like, movies like Little Miss Sunshine.
0: Well, because it had a similar, I mean, I think a similar sort of zeitgeist effect that that Clerks did, where like, really, everybody was like, you have to see this. This is directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who are a husband and wife duo. I did not know this, but they prior to this had been massive, massive music video directors, which is so interesting. Alex, I don't know if if you want to talk about that at all, because I know you were into them.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I just love their Smashing Pumpkins um, "Tonight Tonight" music video—the one that's the, inspired by George Melies' uh, a, "A Trip to the Moon." Um, yeah, yeah. I just I, I think that they're you know they're visual stylists, and I think that helped a lot. Obviously, with this, I mean, nailing all of those scenes of the bus just careening around corners, and you know, <laughs> making those like last-minute pickups of Olive as they've left her at the uh, gas station. I mean, that's that's all that that tight editing and and directing that they've learned from you know. Dozens of music videos over the years.
0: Well, and the final dance sequence as well, which is absolutely (laughs) that last
1: twenty minutes is is show stopping. And I think that's that's where Michael Arndt gets hired to write and develop and like take on all these different franchises after that, where they just start bringing him into every room and being like, "What do you got? How do you mix heart with with comedy and you know something that's kind of it's a child like." beauty pageant strip show like how do you make something irreverent and funny yeah. and, like mix all these things together and kind of like just sink a bunch of homers with like every kind of character reaching this really important and poignant place at the end there I, I can understand why they like he became the go to guy uh, well, to do Star Wars Toy Story yeah just mm-hmm. just to figure these these big franchises out.
0: And you mentioned the sort of, you know, the, the child beauty pageant aspect of this. I don't know if this struck you guys when you were watching this time, but watching this as more of an adult, it hit me so much more that, you know, everybody in the audience is horrified by her dance number at the end. Because yes, it is a small girl doing what is an approximation of a strip tease to super freak. However, it is so much more wholesome and joyful than like any of the previous <laughs> performances of these little yes. A. Ramsey type girls that are very just like so. So made up and and so suggestively dressed that just the hypocrisy of that was so amazing and so well done. Kevin, who's your favorite performance in this?
2: Oh, hands down, Arkin, man. I was always a big Arkin fan going way back. Uh, You know, my father laughed uproariously at the in-laws which meant that you know i fell in love with that huh. movie from an early age and so and and he kills in that he kills in everything he does so when i saw him in the cast I was like well they got my money for sure um but who wasn't gonna go see that movie after you saw that trailer and little abigail breslin does that high-pitched scream and stuff it was warmth it was joy
0: So this is streaming for free right now on IMDb TV. If you want to pick me up, I'm not going to lie. I was in a bad mood before I was going to watch this. And I was like, I have to watch this movie. You know, I remember it being fine. I put it on and I was just immediately, it it changed my mood. It really turned it around. So in these trying times, please throw on Little Miss Sunshine. (laughs) <laughs> yes.
1: All right, let's move on to our last one and most recent film. It's Get Out, which premiered January 23rd, 2017 at Sundance. It was a secret screening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't in competition or anything. It was a special screening they were having. Universal had already you know, paid for this film along with Blumhouse, and they were just kind of giving everyone a sneak peek because up to that point, Really, nobody knew what writer-director Jordan Peele had up his sleeves with this movie. Uh, Synopsis, according to IMDb, if you haven't seen it, Chris and his girlfriend Rose go upstate to visit her parents. As the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he never could have imagined. Starring Daniel Kaluuya in an Oscar-nominated role, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Catherine Keener, Lakeith Stanfeld... Lil' Raoul Hallery and frequent Coen Brothers actor Stephen Root.
2: Um, okay, look, this is one of the greatest films ever made. Ever. Hands yep. down. And you want to talk about a self-assured directorial debut. Mm. I mean, I'm, yeah. perhaps he had practice working on Key and Peele. Maybe he directed a bunch of the sketches or whatnot, but... Nope so this was it first time this was it yeah he was there wow. he studied under people he watched them but he really
1: never stepped behind the camera and directed anything as himself until this
2: all you can hear when you watch this movie is the crack of the bat each and every yeah. scene where you're like oh my god like he knocked out out of the park he knocked that out of the park it's an an es- escalating series of grand slams uh yep. over and over again yeah. that all being said I had no idea this was considered a Sundance movie. Like, this to me is a mainstream flick, right? Like, I mean, I'm glad it was a mainstream flick. Probably at first glance, it was not a mainstream flick. You know, I'm sure there weren't a bunch of people going, this movie's going to be seminal and make over a $100 million. I'm sure they were like, ah, it's a horror movie. We can eke out something. It's interesting. It's got something Mm -hmm. on its mind. And then it turned into an absolute phenomenon. But I would never in a million years think of this as a sundance movie if you guys hadn't told me that that's crazy i know
0: well it's wild that this was the this was the premiere this is the first time anybody ever got to see it was this secret scene screening at sundance and i just can't i can't imagine what that must have felt like to walk into that theater having absolutely zero idea what you're going to get and to get as you correctly said one of the best movies ever yeah. made i think yeah
2: think about this I, they're walking into that theater And the last thing they saw, and I realize this isn't from both Key and Peel, but the last Key and Peel effort they saw was Keanu. Mm Yeah, the cat movie. So the bar is probably low. You know, they're like, all right, going to be another sketch comedy thing, if anything, if they even know it's a Jordan Peele movie. And then the dude unzips and gives them, you know, Pulp Fiction for the modern era. (laughs) Like...
0: It's wild. Literally, never
2: mind Pulp Fiction, gives them Rosemary's Baby for the modern era. Like, that's how
1: good. That's this exactly movie. right. Mixed with do the right thing, you know, this <laughs> yeah. movie that is tectonically, you know, the, you're saying the crack of the bat, you also hear the crack of like these conversations opening up of people starting to understand what the word microaggression could even possibly mean and taking all, I mean, it, the best horror comes from these places where it's real world fears mm-hmm. channeled into this kind of, you know, supernatural or larger than life story. And the way he's able to kind of, you know, take all of these ideas, all these feelings, all these real experiences of just you know race race relations in the U.S. and turn that into this body swap movie. You know this this invasion of the body snatchers movie. It's it's just so brilliant. It's genre. I, I, nobody it's, could have
2: seen it coming. It's as genre as it gets. This is if yeah. you looked at this yeah. on paper, it you know genre, sci-fi, horror. Like you're, it's it doesn't perhaps read like the movie. You're gonna get. I could see. Yeah. I could see it getting made, but I can't see anybody thought that it was gonna be as successful as it was. And yeah. it is a zeitgeist film, but it's not just that. It's not just. He said the right thing at the right time. You make this movie in any era, is gonna penetrate and find an audience. How do you think they sold tickets for it?
0: They they do this sometimes. They'll have these like secret screenings where I'm not sure that they actually tell you what it is. Um. I, no, they didn't. It was that this didn't. was a
1: universal movie surprise. Yeah. We're not going to tell you what it was until people are actually sitting down to watch it. And
2: how perfect because this is a quote-unquote horror movie that could work for anybody. So it's not even yes. like, "Oh, some people are going to be like this ain't my genre." The movie's no, so f-ing smart yeah. that like it plays for anybody up there. Like whoever had the idea to be like, "Let's sneak it at Sundance," is a genius now that I think about it.
0: This movie kicks down the door for what horror can do as well. Like, yes, technically, this is a horror movie. However, it is also a real vehicle for, I think, as Alex said, important conversations and change that we are still seeing the ripples of and thank God. But truly, there are no extraneous lines in this. Everything is so intentional. If you go back and watch it again, every single little thing that happens, there's there's a point to it. It's Bradley Whitford
1: tells you exactly what's going to yes. happen through the rest of the movie on that yes. tour of like the house. Ten in the first in. Yeah. When he's first taking you through the house, he's like, we will go in the basement. Da, 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 da. He starts going through like each, yeah, there's, each step there's a of piece like, of my
0: mother in yeah. the kitchen. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so, so impressive. It made Daniel Kaluuya a star. He'd obviously been around Lil rel as well. Not as big know. a star
0: as he should be. In my no. opinion, I think he's so incredible. And just watching this again, like that scene where he's being hypnotized and he's remembering the death of his mother is one of the, most incredible pieces of acting I think I've ever seen. Yeah. I just, and Jordan Peele said he
1: was able to get that teardrop almost on cue to this hit the good same Lord. point at the same time, which is just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. He's and, so and good. Hats and hats
2: off for taking indie actress icon Catherine Keener and turning it into a terrifying, yeah. mm, uh, terrifying, inhuman witch, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Crazy. You know, and then it also gives us. Jordan Peele and Jordan Peele can now do whatever he wants, not just as a writer director, but you know, with Monkey Paw Productions as well. He's got mm-hmm. Lovecraft Country, Black Klansmen, Hunters, and the really underrated Candyman. I absolutely loved. I think he. Uh, yeah,
2: I liked Candyman as well. I thought it was really good.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. It to, to, and it didn't to take dis- on the legacy of that old movie and fold it into everything. He's just—he's a horror fan, and that's why you know you said it's—it's it's a genre movie through and through. He wears all of those influences on his sleeves. He loves horror. He doesn't turn his nose up at it. That you mm-hmm. know, many people, are, oh I'm making a horror movie, but it's—it's—you it's, know, elevated horror. It's a fancy horror movie. No, this is a horror movie. This is you know, it's got ideas from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's got ideas from the Old West World. It's also from, funny. You know, Simpsons, uh, <laughs> Itchy and Scratchy Land is in there. little bit like (laughs) all of these things you know all of his influences are right there and it works because there's you know there's truth to it there's there's that real you know hard conversation that he's having and making us have with this movie and i think that's just incredible
2: and every performance is kind of uh haunting and memorable even lakeith stanfield right oh yeah oh yeah like who just has to have a breakdown mostly on camera but like You you felt it. You were like, "Oh my god! It is there's a there's two people trapped in that body."
0: Oh, it's giving me chills. Yeah, Yeah, it really watching it again, knowing that, and seeing his reaction when the flash goes off in his face. It's it's an incredible moment,
2: and you never get to do it again clean. Like I went in clean, so I didn't know that. Like, oh my god, they're literally and putting brains in other like it's as, <laughs> as old hoary sci-fi as it gets like they're brain mm-hmm. swapping their brain yes cinchers. if you haven't seen
1: get out and we haven't spoiled it for you yet check it out you can rent it on prime video
0: yeah please do please watch it if for any reason you haven't yet it truly is all of these movies are important movies to watch get out is an important educational experience as well
2: and it's also it's great to watch for pure entertainment value kids yes then you watch it the second time to see how a master crafts their work Mm -hmm. then you watch it a third time to pick up all the jokes and the inside references and easter eggs you missed that first and second time then you watch it a fourth time just because you love it so much again you're like I'm gonna watch that again that movie's tight and it'll it'll sink in that DNA some of Jordan Peele's creative DNA might sink into you through osmosis.
0: Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. And for anybody that wants more Kevin and more of Kevin talking about movies with people that make movies, you have a new podcast, right?
2: Yeah. We just, uh, for, we used to do a few years ago, a podcast called film school Fridays. We've done two volumes of it. We haven't done it in a while, but then I've been, I've been, uh, you know, you gotta be the change you want to see in the world. And, and film discourse has become like so negative and whatnot. So I, I, you know, I like to talk about movies as much as the next person. That's why I wound up as a filmmaker, you know, because I was mm-hmm. a fan of movies to begin with. So on Film School Fridays and uh, volume three, as we're doing now, the idea is like me and a guest, you know, pick a movie that they want to talk about that we just love on and then fall down the rabbit hole of that filmmaker's work and stuff. So if you're looking for the show where I'm like, here's what's wrong with these movies, that ain't it. Um, this is a movie, a, a podcast that just celebrates, uh, movies, um, the same way you do with everybody else. So yeah, we just started it again. The first episode up is, uh, us, uh, reviewing licorice pizza and talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's career. I talk about like how at first I crapped all over Magnolia and then. Recently, I rewatched it and, and realized that I was immature and watching it through a different prism. I'm like, oh, my God, that movie's pretty damn brilliant. Yeah. Uh, episode two, we do Zack Snyder's Justice League. Episode oh, three, interesting. we're going to do um, uh, Don't Look Up, Adam McKay and stuff. Is it the new awesome. network? We'll find out.
0: Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody go check out uh, Film School Fridays. We will be back next week with your regularly scheduled programming. And um, make sure to watch some Sundance movies in celebration of the Sundance Film Festival. It's going on right now. Support filmmakers. If you get a chance to watch the, the movies virtually this year, do it. And if you don't, support some previous year's movies like these four we just talked about. And if you feel like leaving a review, please do.
1: See you next week.